Hello and welcome to Killer Serials. This is Tony Jones. Hey, this is Ryan Parker. And we're just a couple dudes with PhDs in theology who talk about television. And movies. <laughs> and know nothing about technology. So why, <laughs> why not do a podcast? Minor technical difficulties. Over 100 episodes in. <laughs> and you just got your computer fixed. So we were supposed to be able to see each other visually, but we can't. So I hope I know you're missing this beautiful face. That was money well spent at the Apple store or whatever, at the Genius Bar. Hey, I'm excited about this episode. That makes one of us. Hey, Wow. I thought I'd try Holy my humor, cow. my funny bone out <laughs> since we have a comedian on. I never thought that I would ever get to talk about my PhD with somebody who is embodying my PhD. We can get into that later. Which is religion and film. Yes, and bad Christian movies. Hey, Luke, welcome to the podcast. As you've already noticed, Ryan and I talk over each other a lot. No, thanks for having me. And to be honest, I just zone out what anyone says waiting for my own chance to talk anyway. So I'll just <laughs> step on you guys anyway. Well, Luke, you're the star, the writer, the star, producer, etc. of the movie Faith Base. But I know you mainly because you tweet a lot. <laughs> Excess, <laughs> not not Donald Trump level, but in the realm of every day, I'm saying something stupid. <laughs> so, uh, welcome, welcome to the podcast. Where I'm excited to talk to you about the movie. First of all, I want to just say props on your episode of Mega the Podcast, which I think I would hope that people who listen to our podcast would at least be aware of Mega. It's an improv satire of a mega church staff. And I mean, my gosh, it's so on the nose that it's cringy funny. Yeah, it's 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 one. Of, it was one of my favorite podcasts before they invited me on, just because yeah, grew up in that world, uh, very familiar with that world, and so the the fact that they do it so flawlessly that it borders that like, is this real? Is it not? Yeah. Level is is excellent. It was it was a blast to be on. It was actually the. I was actually pretty nervous. Like it was, it was. A, I was a little more nervous on that than I was probably half the things I've have done, just because it's full on forty five minutes of long form improv, and uh, and obviously improv is one of those things where where some of it you get some some gems out of it, and other times it's just as awkward as it gets. Yeah, how much prep work goes into that podcast? I've wondered that before. Like, is there kind of a storyline that you go in there with? Not only is there no prep work, but even what I, they kind of like the day before or the, or the morning of, we kind of like pinged back and forth a little bit of like, what's a type of character you could be? Like what's a, an industry or like, what's the thing you want to do? But I'm not joking. When we got on about 30 seconds before we started, we totally changed it. Like I kind of expected because they knew me from the movie I was going to kind of go on as like a Christian film executive, you know, uh -huh. like somebody that worked for Pure Flix or something. And that was kind of just our plan. And then like right before we were talking about how I've been on like daddy daycare through the pandemic. And so like literally at the last second, what we were like, what if you're a guy who's been on daddy daycare so long that you started like a support group for for men whose wives are now bringing in all the income. And so we've like basically started like a, a club in my garage that goes from like once a week to six days a week, nine to five. And so it very much changed right beforehand. It's funny because like every guy drops 50 bucks in the bucket when they get there. And then at the end of the day, they take 50 bucks out so they can go home and tell their wives they got paid for what they did. Yeah, that ma day. Ma ma it makes them feel like they're self-reliant. It's pretty great. It's pretty great. It's pretty great. Yeah, it's it. Those guys are. I love that podcast. It's hilarious, and 
I'm sure there's tons of people who didn't grow up in that world or who haven't. I mean, like I've served on the staff of a mega church, so sure, I, I like I know what it's like to sit in a staff meeting, and yeah, it's uh, totally. And I'm lucky. The week after me, they had icon Jason Manzukis on there, and I'm just really glad he went after me and not right yeah. before me. <laughs> So tell us whether it's the podcast or even more more so your film, you obviously know that world, that evangelical church world. So what was your background going into it? I grew up in, in kind of the quintessential American evangelical church and school. So I went to a private Christian school that was pretty much straight out of the movie Saved. And uh, uh, have you ever seen that movie? Yep. You know just as evangelical as it gets. My dad was kind of an interim pastor. Like he would fill in for pastors when they would, you know, have to leave for a few months at a time and whatnot. And so that was pretty much my whole life. And then when I moved to Los Angeles, I was, I got really heavily involved in Mosaic, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners know about Mosaic, but if not, it's Irwin McManus's church. It's about as hip as it possibly gets in the world of hip churches. And so my first few years in LA, I was really active there and got involved. And so when it came to make our movie, I definitely felt pretty comfortable, you know, satirizing somewhat of that world. Um, <laughs> oh I mean, Luke, what part of the country did you grow up in? Uh, I'm from the DC area. I grew up in DC until I was really little, and then we moved to Maryland, just outside of Southeast DC. Huh. I wonder. Did uh, yeah? I, I mean, I knew some pastors around those parts, but I mean, I'm surprised you're not wearing your $3,500 Irwin McManus oh army jacket, bro. Come on. Well, it's cra- it's so crazy what it's kind of become. Like to, to, to be totally fair, back, especially back then, but even now, I, I will I will give Irwin credit. I think Irwin is one of the best speakers there are. Like my wife is not a Christian. She is Jewish and not even religious in that capacity. And she'd never been to like a big Christian church. And she would go when we first started dating, I was still in that world. And so she would happily come with me because she was like, oh, I I like the speaker. Like everything else is weird. People putting their hands up while they're singing and and all the the lyrics to all the songs and everything weirded her out. But for the most part, she was like that motivational speaker is one of the best speakers I've ever heard. And it's at the beginning, the church was very hip, like it was cool. But at the time I was also 25. And so I was happy to be at a hip church with other 25 year olds and all of a sudden it just kind of like kept pushing and pushing until after we years after we'd left we started seeing him on instagram dressed like justin bieber and we were like what is happening with like this 67 year old guy out of hot topic and then he launched the clothing line and i was like well he is into fashion let's see what it is and i click on it and it's like do you want a 200 dollar Irwin shirt or a three thousand dollar canvas jacket and i was like what is happening (laughs) well look man you're a little younger than me so maybe you haven't quite figured this out yet but just because someone's a really really good communicator doesn't necessarily mean that they're super authentic in their faith (laughs) a hundred percent i more just mean for pure like he can write a great book you know what i mean oh yeah he's 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 a brilliant communicator yeah communicator is the best way to put it yeah it reminds me of when i was a kid and, you know, I grew up in Minnesota and there were no atheists, you know, like everybody went to, everyone was confirmed, yeah. Lutheran, Catholic, Presbyterian or whatever. But there was one couple who lived on our block. They were my parents' age and the, the mom was a non-practicing Jew 
and the dad was an atheist. And I remember he, he watched a ton of TV and I remember going over to his house one time and he was watching Jimmy Swaggart. And this was like pre fall Jimmy Swaggart. Wow. And Jimmy was, you know, had the handkerchief and the microphone and sweat, you know, and the, he would always wear the, the three piece suit with the tie loosened. I mean, kind of like your character actually in the film and, <laughs> yeah, a little bit. and then, and you know, people were watching, watching, watching. So it, I, 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 I asked him, I'm like, Tim, why are you watching Jimmy Swaggart? You're an atheist. And he said, I just, I watched Jimmy Swaggart and Jim and Tammy Faye Baker because it helps me understand how it worked with Hitler. Ah, interesting. I was like, zinger. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's completely accurate though. It's like you quickly realize what a communicator like that has the ability to do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, truly. It's wild. Okay, so you left Mosaic. Did you go somewhere else? Where are you now? You said that was many years ago. Yeah, where where are you at now, faith-wise? I guess the best term at this point would be agnostic. And I kind of feel like agnostic kind of gets a bad rap. Like people hear that word and they think of atheist. And for me, it's just that, you know, I've gone through, you know, I hate to say the cliche word of deconstruction, but I've gone such such a phase of basically deconstructing belief and, and faith and what those things are that at this point I would probably most consider myself curious. Mm-hmm. Like I don't claim to know any of the answers. I don't really think anyone has the answers. I think if any, I think I've gone, I've done so much research on the Bible and belief and, and different religions to kind of come out of it, you know, essentially feeling like what I was taught growing up is not exactly how it was. And that I think that there is probably some form of a God of some sort, but I probably think that the God of the Bible is maybe not that different than the God of every other religion. And, and I think that a lot of it is, is phenomenal teaching and great metaphors and a great way to lead your life. But at the end of the day, in terms of actual religion, I don't think it's that different than like a Scientology, except that a Scientology is so recent that it seems crazy. Like it seems so crazy because it's just like, what this guy from, from recently yeah. said this or the, or the Mormon church or something, this guy found this in Missouri. It sounds so crazy. But I think the same things that I was taught since I was three, if a new person were to come here and tell me that right now, I'd be like, this is a cue. This is a crazy guy, you know? Right, right, right. Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously there's a ton of people in the U.S. who are Gen Xers and millennials who have had that exact same journey. Sure. Right? I also think it was important to like, I grew up in such a bubble. Like the church I went to was a part of my school, which was a K through 12 school that my mom took a job teaching at so that I could, we could afford for me to go there. And so basically I was so plugged in Mm. to this community that like there was really nothing in my life outside of it until I was post high school because I would be involved in youth group. I would be involved in church. I would be involved in extracurricular activities at the school, which a lot of that I I have no regrets on. Like I love my school. I love being involved in theater and soccer and all these different things. But but it wasn't until I kind of like moved to Los Angeles and Sin City really like took hold of me. No, it it was just like, you know. When you only talk to people that believe the same thing you believe and they've been told it since they were literally two years old, it's hard to ever have a different perspective. Maybe you would even go back to that church once you've gotten out, but it's just, I think it's kind of important to not only hear the same thing since you're so little. 
Yeah, it's funny because I still, I, I kind of started my career doing a lot of youth ministry stuff and wrote a sure. bunch of books about youth ministry and then hung out in similar, what we called emergent church circles with Irwin and stuff like that. Sure. Back in the early aughts. So people still come to me or I still get speaking gigs sometimes at churches, you know, to parent groups or whatever. And I'm, I would just be like, you know, less than half of your kids are going to be practicing Christians when they're 30. Less than wow. half, probably a wow. quarter, if that. And they just still, but this is the funny thing. I'm sure your parents were the same way, like, or my parents would have been the same way. They look at you like you're crazy. Oh, yeah. What sure. I'm teaching my kids, it's going to stick. Like, yeah. they'll... <laughs> yeah, the 50% not. thing is pretty wild. Like, that's that's <laughs> that's interesting. So your movie is not... I mean, there's some other movies that are meaner about sure. the Christian subculture. And, I mean, Twitter and Facebook, there are all sorts of people who are just like, man, the knives are out when it yeah. comes to Christianity. All they do is spend time on social media just like hammering... Yeah, you click that exvangelical hashtag and you're in a... It's dark. A it's a dark place. It, yeah. So your film doesn't... You know, there's there's a kind of a, I don't know, a sensitivity to that. You're not... You don't seem like, yeah, you're bitter about it, at least in the way you wrote this film. There's some kind of love and admiration for it, even if it's... Well, it's funny because if you look on IMDb, the keywords are plot keywords. Mission, smoking marijuana, bong... Reseda, California. You probably don't look on IMDb. But no. Like, <laughs> wow. Those are the top Well, it's, it's interesting. Like we, you know, it's, I think that when, the way I feel about Christianity in general is, is there's aspects of it that have hurt a lot of people, whether it's, whether we want to talk about war or, or purity culture, or whatever we want to talk about that have clearly hurt a lot of people. But, but for the most part, to me, I see all of the various religions and belief systems as something that if it, if it makes you happy, it doesn't hurt other people. It makes you a better person. Those things kind of come together. I'm, I'm not, total, I'm not opposed to it in that sense. I'm not like an anti-belief person. And so for the movie itself, it's like there's a lot of aspects that I had growing up in the church that we talk on in the movie that I, I think were fantastic, like the community aspect. It's like I've had a tough time even finding. I would love to find something out here that was all of the community aspects that I, that you have at church in the family stuff and people helping each other in all these different groups that maybe aren't religion based. Cause those are things that are just like great. Like my, my friend's church that we actually shot a lot of the scenes in the movie at every now and again, like we'll go for, you know, for Christmas or, or whatever it is, or cause our friends speaking or whatnot. And, uh, and we always walk away like, ah, the community aspect of this is yeah. so great. And so we didn't, I didn't want to make a movie that was basically bashing belief. I more wanted to make at the end of the day a heartfelt buddy comedy, yeah. Um, and I wanted to use an aspect of faith, specifically like the business of faith, as kind of like a backdrop and a framework to tell that story in. So that's kind of why it is more bashing like the business of faith-based films more so than it's bashing belief or or having faith. You know, what is it about the marketing of movies? That it's like your movie is, you know, just on whatever Amazon Prime or, you know, the log line for it. It's like, guys, two, two guys look to make a bunch of money in the Christian movie industry kind of disingenuously because sure. Christians make shitty art so they can make whatever they want. And 
But it's a, you know, ultimately it's a buddy comedy, but you can't like market it. Hey, it's a buddy comedy and the backdrop is evangelical church. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's tricky. Like if we, to be honest, if this movie, this movie was such, like, I don't, I, I don't know how much you know about like, you know, we've talked about it a little bit on some other podcasts, but it's like, this was a no budget movie. This yeah. literally, this, this, this as small of a budget as movies can get. We originally were going to shoot it with friends on iPhones for 10 grand and improv, like the whole thing. It's a scenario where like, if we had strictly made this movie to make money, this, we wouldn't have made it R rated. It would have been more marketed towards the faith-based community, or we would have right. pushed way harder and pushed in. Like, Cause, cause yeah. there's people on like Reddit and stuff who were bummed that the movie wasn't just like, bashing christians sure. and then there's christians that won't see the movie because we say the word fuck in the movie yeah. and it's like even though the movie itself doesn't have any it doesn't have you know, sex it doesn't have it doesn't have many things to make it r-rated but we do it was very important to us if we're going to portray two 30 something bachelors in Reseda who go to bars and who smoke pot they need to talk like those people would talk. And so yeah. we chose to kind of like make it how they would really talk, which is not, Oh gosh, dang it. You know, um, <laughs> although he does get caught one time, right. Doesn't your character in the church, in the church. Oh, that's so yeah. stinking. That didn't you say that? Yeah. That's so stinking yeah. bad. It's like, yes, yeah, just these, there are these little glimpses of Christian subculture, which I freaking love like that. Like you say stinking like that's such uh, yeah, a Christian, yeah, yeah. that's such yeah, an evangelical sure, curse. Sure. Word, it's know? like, Oh, that's a bad, that's a bad. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it, it's, it's tricky. Like we obviously in hindsight look back and we're like, man, if we just wanted to make money off of this thing, we, we probably would have made it PG 13 and marketed it towards those same people and stuff. But yeah, we, we just wanted to make a good movie and hoping that it would let us make more movies. So it is what it is, you know, the scenes, I mean, it, it in some ways it's very easy to satirize a Christian praise and worship service. Wait, by the way, is that lemon, is that limoncello flavor LaCroix? It's just lemon, but the ah. limoncello is a nice dessert. Don't you like the limoncello LaCroix? Oh yeah. It's, it's literally, it's like a, it's literally a dessert water. There's a big debate in my family because it's the Costco three pack currently includes 12 cans of limoncello. limoncello. My wife's family it, it does not like the limoncello. Yeah, there's people in my family who absolutely hate it. I mean, they they really like have very very strong opinions about the limoncello flavor and I'm like Hilarious. all LaCroix kind of tastes like you're drinking bubbly chemicals. So sure, I, don't, sure. I don't really understand sure. your big problem yeah, with yeah, limoncello. Yeah. So back to the 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 praise and worship service. First of all, that song, dude. Did you who oh, wrote the song? So I came. So my brother-in-law, who, who's the worship leader in it, he's got a comedy troupe that that's probably my favorite comedy troupe in LA. And I'm not just being biased, but I, but I've written with them, I've produced with them stuff. They do. They're kind of comedy music. They kind of pitch it as a Monty Python meets a Prairie Home Companion. It's called Lost Moon Radio, and it's just genius. It's, okay. it's the best. And so I kind of we were originally going to just do kind of like cheesy, the cheesiest version of Praise and Worship, and then I kind of. Was I was randomly watching old school, and there's like the scene at the beginning where they're at the wedding, and the band uh, who's a, a some, somewhat known LA band, I forgot what their names are, but they basically are singing "Turn Around," like "Turn Around," and yeah. and it's during the the wedding dance, and basically they let it go for a solid forty five seconds while Will Ferrell is dancing. And all of a sudden, the guy just out of nowhere is like, every fucking now and then, and everybody, including Will Ferrell and the audience, is just like, did he just say fucking like in the song? 
and uh, and it just kind of takes you for a, a turn. Yeah. And so I kind of went to Ryan, my brother, and I said, "What if we did a song that kind of starts off totally normal praise and worship, but slowly gets weirder <laughs> yes, and weirder?" And uh, and yeah, I couldn't be happier with with it. Like my wife did. My, my wife didn't watch the movie with me because she was because she can't stand you. Yeah, sure, I understand. <laughs> um, but <laughs> yeah, she's sitting right next to me and, and doesn't like that. She loves your mega, but. She, she couldn't stand your Not movie. that movie. I'm just kidding, see Courtney. It. Gosh, um, but but because she was working, and then she came into the room during the rolling during the credits, and I'm like, but uh, you have to listen to the, the song. song. You got to. And isn't it? There's like another verse during the credits. There's a whole other yeah, verse. There, well, we just had the full song in oh, the credits versus like it kind of cuts in and out during the movie. I mean, I have this deal. I mean, it's so funny. Even little things like. There's a guy in the back of the band who's like not playing any instruments, I think. Uh-huh. But <laughs> he's just got to stand there. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, she doesn't really, she barely, she's up there in the front just kind of like dancing yeah. and every now and again singing. But like for the like most part. Like she harmonizes on the bridge and that's about Yeah, but that's <laughs> it. That's and that does. to me is like such a, a hip worship band like thing to have. It's just like the. And also, the drummer wants to get in as many cool fills as he possibly can. <laughs> <laughs> right. Gosh, that's good, good attention to detail. I mean, you were, you kept cutting uh, to the drummer and he's like just doing. In the like you know this yeah, poor yeah. guy i love this there's a shot that they i they i didn't even notice them getting it until i saw like the first cut of the movie but i love that there's a shot of the drummer at i think it's at the end beginning of the end i think it's the end where he's just like holding the sticks up like a cross <laughs> oh yeah just was, like wow i didn't even notice him doing that, that while we were awesome. recording it that was super awesome how tell it tell us about casting the movie because you got some like legit for for a no budget as you say for like a super yeah. low budget film you got some great characters actors in there i couldn't i mean i honestly like i've i've been a part of producing i don't know six movies now and i've never experienced something like this where it it just happens so organically like usually it's such a process on a on a low budget movie even let alone kind of a no budget movie and this just wasn't the case like i, I we started off with some friends that we that are just like, you know, maybe not Jason Alexander famous, but they're on various shows and stuff. Like when oh. you, there's a, there's a lot of cast that when you look them up on IMDb, you're like, oh, that guy's one of the stars of Last Man Standing. That's one of the stars of American Housewife. Like just various kind of shoes and role models, like just those kind of actors that are friends of ours. So we kind of wrote some of it with like those people in mind. So like Carly Craig, who, who's in like role models, American Housewife. I wrote that for her. I wrote for Richard Reilly. I wrote, you know, who's a character actor you've seen in everything. Some of those people that I'm just working a lot, I wrote stuff for them. And then I, uh, yeah, Lance Reddick was the first person to sign on who plays my dad. And yeah. Lance is one of those people that if you're listening and don't know that name right off the bat, he's he's a phen- phenomenal actor. He's the concierge in all the John Wick movies. He's one of the stars of The Wire and Bosch. And, uh, he had been in a funnier die video called Toys Are Me that is to this day one of the funniest things I think Funnier Die ever did. And and I used to work with them a lot and I just remember this video. And so when we wrote it, you know, he's also African American, if you haven't put that together, but and I'm not. <laughs> and uh <laughs> and and we thought that was just something that like you've seen so many times a, a rich white family yeah. adopting a poor black kid or a poor African kid you've never really seen an affluent black family adopt a white kid who kind of ends up being the only like failure of the family. And, uh, right. and we just thought that was interesting. And so Lance, we offered that to him and he read it and we got a call back that said, look, Lance, Lance loves the script, but he wants to play 
Nikki Steele, which is the character that Jason Alexander ended up playing. And we basically said, look, Lance can play whatever he wants. If Lance was playing Nikki Steele, yeah. he can play Nikki Steele. Can we talk to him? And on the phone, I basically just gave him the pitch I just gave you about what you've never seen before. And he was like, let me reread it. He called me like three days later and was like, I don't want to play Nikki Steele. I want to play your dad. And so it was really cool. And once he came on, it was definitely a little easier to get to other people. Oh. And nobody wants to be first. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like nobody wants to sign on to, to a, a low budget movie. But like, you know, all of a sudden, like Lance, who's not like overly famous, but he's definitely very respected, yeah. kind of lent, lent some credibility to the to project. And then, and then it was kind of like a, 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 every person that came on just made it easier to get the next person. That's cool. And he ends up playing this very, you know, he he's kind of the hero at yeah. the end, which is so cool. Like that's a I think that was a super fun twist that Well, what's kind of funny is so we didn't know what was going to play the best. And so we recorded uh, not like I don't even know this, but we recorded Lance kind of saving the day as yeah. you'll see if you watch the movie, and we recorded David Keckner's character, Butch Savage, who's this kind of like nineties action hero that like we're trying to get to be in our Christian movie the whole time. We recorded him doing it. And at the first test screening we did, we actually used the Keckner one just to see how it would play. And uh -huh. in our survey, we asked, did you see this coming? And everybody saw it coming. Oh, I and thought it, for sure that's what was going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody saw it coming and there was no, like, it didn't, it didn't really have any heart to it. It's like, yeah, they accomplished their goal, but that was kind of it. And, yeah. and so we switched it to the Lance take and it was just like, oh, that's a hundred times better. Like it yeah. connects their relationship better. It, you know, right. it's just really worked. Yeah, it was, that was great. I, I'm really glad you made that choice as much as I would have liked to see the other one too, you know, because I'm sure it's yeah, like Kenner really was kick, super funny. It's yeah, really kick ass and funny, I'm sure. Yeah, he's hilarious in it, but, yeah. but it just didn't, it didn't leave you with a heartfelt feeling at all, you know? Right. And, so, then, and, then, and then, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 please finish. Yeah. I was just going to say, and then like, obviously like Jason Alexander being in the movie was just, I'm, I'm a, I grew up a huge Seinfeld fan with George Costanza probably being my favorite character. And so that was just, uh, out of out of all my time in Los Angeles, that was the most I can't believe this is happening moment I've had. Yeah, that was, he, he was incredible. And he, I mean, no offense to you, but like in that scene, he just... I'm the straight man in the scene. I'm just you're there straight to kind man of like in the scene, and, he, and he really is over the top. Like, I assume you had him for one day or half a day or something. One very long day because we had to shoot all of his like little. He has all these oh, interstitials the throughout the movie that are yeah, kind of right. different locations, but but it, but he brought it, man. So like in that, does he? How does he get amped up for that, or is he just that good of an actor, that experience it? He it's can just that. go from zero to ten, and I mean, when he's on the couch with you, and he like snuggles Dude, up next to you, and it's insane. He he is so. Well, first off, what's so interesting is that he comes from the Larry David world of you are not allowed to change a word. So oh. he does not improv at all. Okay. He would do every take totally different, but he would not like go off script. He wouldn't change words at all. And he, in between, he was so uh, down to earth. He would never go up to his room. He would just kind of like hang out, play piano, talk to everybody in between takes. And then when it started, he just like is there. He just brings it. And he wow. even went, he's so far, like the only time filming the entire movie that we ever felt like, ah, this might be a little bit too much was there's a take somewhere out there where like the couch scene, instead of him like jumping down and me jumping down next to him, I sit down and then he literally like crawls on top of me, <laughs> uh, straddles me, gets like six inches from my face 
and is like giving his dialogue. And it was the one moment we were like, this might be too much. Like this might be I don't know, too man. <laughs> yeah. I did. Yours was a kind of film that I do wish like uh, outtakes at the end would have been pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. We might have to put that together. We just released a little like making of feature, oh, but okay. I, I think a behind, but it doesn't have that much of that. I would love to just see like, the cause there's gotta bloopers. be some funny takes that, well, because then you have like David Keckner, who is the exact opposite of Jason Alexander. He, okay. he was just as good, but like a total, like he comes in at 11, does not leave at 11, is pumped. Drinking Coca-Cola is like it's his job. He's just like <laughs> riled up. And he would improv so much that it was like he would give you like one take of the script and then just like let loose. And what he says is always funnier than what I wrote, but it was definitely like a different kind of. Which I'm guessing, I mean, that from just watching many funnier die videos and then seeing all those Will Ferrell movies with the outtakes where it's like, yeah. they're just doing different lines, different, like yeah. they're improving, improving, improving for sure. And that's a very different school of comedy, which, it, you know, I, I'm guessing is if you work for funnier die that you get that version yeah. too. Yeah. That's, that's my world more. So it's like, we would, even on our stuff with me and Tanner, we would, we would, we would, always try to make sure we got a take of everything that was kind of the safety of the like, this is how it's written. This is what it yeah. needs to be. And then it would kind of be like, all right, let's just like play around for five minutes and see if something funnier comes out. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Which is why it was so fun to do the mega podcast. Cause it was just all improv. It's just that on our stuff, we're doing it for three minutes versus 45 minutes. Which is terrifying. No, I can't help. But having, having grown up in that Christian world and served on a church like that, uh, and being a writer myself, like I can't help but listen to Mega and think, like, could I pull that off? Like, if I went, yeah, if I went on there, could I pull that off? And I'm not, you know, trained in improv or whatever. And usually thinking, like, no freaking way. I would <laughs> be too somewhere. I, think most, I just, people, I think most people would basically like do whatever happens, and then like five minutes after it ended, you would think of like a hundred genius lines yeah. that you like should have put in there. That's how I think most people are. That's how I am. Even yeah, I was like, I yeah. walked away like, ah, can we go back? Right, right. So why does Christian art suck so bad? I think, I mean, I've, I've, fortunately, what's been interesting is that, like, the making of this movie and the release of this movie has brought up so many conversations, both about faith and faith-based consumerism, that it's been very interesting for me to, like, really feel like I need to educate myself to be able to have these conversations because uh, somebody would be like, uh, Hey asshole, like what makes you think that you can critique this industry right. or whatever? And I think that it comes down to like kind of two groups and two things. And one of those is in general, the Christian audience is incredibly supportive of Christian things. And that's they, people, people naturally want to have media and have things that affirm their belief which I understand that that's not I'm, not, I'm not critiquing that. So they support these things, but they kind of end up doing it to a fault where like they will go see anything yeah. that comes out that's Christian. So a big, you know, Kendrick Brothers movie comes out. And even if it's not nearly as good as the other 10 movies that are in theaters that week, they will take the bus to go see it. And I think when that happens, and so this these movies make $50 million on a $2 million budget or less, then faith-based filmmakers, who some of them are well-meaning, they start to realize if if I want my movie to make fifty million dollars, I have to stay in this limit 
these limits to make sure that audience can and will support it. So yeah. you you have to have it be PG. You have to have kind of the protagonist find God at the end. You have to have like these certain things that almost have to happen. And that that makes it almost impossible to make an original good movie that feels real and feels well done while able to make $50 million from the Christian right. consumers. And then I think the other side of that coin is that then you also have a lot of producers that are not well-intentioned that just start to realize that and say, oh, this movie made $50 million. I could easily make that terrible of a movie. I can pay, you know, whoever you, whatever person, whatever cliche you want to name that's in all these movies, I can go pay them $200,000 to come out for one week. And all of a sudden, like I can emulate that. And they don't always work. They don't always make $50 million. But for the most part, it's become this business where if you stick with these parameters, you can find a way to make your budget back. And it makes it, hard to justify stepping out of that sandbox you know gotcha. that's kind of my long answer long no that's good i mean you know ryan texted me questions because he had technical failures but that was kind of a lot that was part of it it's something i would uh, that's that's the biggest topic of all these i would love to see change like i got offered to, to work on a movie recently that was uh, they sent me the script and they said, the director said, I want to make the first, like, I want to make this sports Christian movie that is, like, different than every other one. Like, it's going to be 300 on the sports field and it's going to be edgy and epic and all these things. And I was like, okay, I'm down to read this. Like, I'm excited to read this. And I read it and I'm not joking. It was one of the worst scripts I've ever read. Like, it was worse <laughs> than every Kendrick Brothers movie. It was they, every other page, the coach pulled out either a pocket Bible or quoted a verse. It was Come just like so heavy handed. And it was, it was crazy that he sent this. And I kind of wrote back and I was like, I would love the opportunity to work on act and produce a huge, a, this big of a budget movie. But I just made a movie that the whole concept is critiquing these movies. Right. If the first faith-based <laughs> movie I become involved in is like one of the worst that just like takes away anything credible. I, I have, and so I think if I were to make a Christian movie, it would just, it would, it would be what I, it would, nobody would probably make it because I'd be like, oh, I want to, I want to make this different. And it's probably not going to have the mega churches take their buses out to it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Th there's definitely, and Ryan, I wish he were here because he, his day job is doing marketing to faith based groups. So Disney sure. will come out with a movie. You know, and they're like, how can we get busloads of Christians to come to see this? Yeah. And so Ryan will write like a small group study guide for sure. a Disney movie that has like faith-based themes. Sure. But it's not, a, it, he doesn't yeah. do the, he doesn't work for the kind of films that you're talking about that sure. you're spoofing in the movie. He works for the big studios who want sure. a piece of that market. And like, you know Absolutely. what I'm saying? I, I have another friend that works for a marketing company like that. And then another, and another friend that actually is in development at a firm film, which is Sony's Christian label. And I totally get it. And, and honestly, it's, it's so, yeah, it's so interesting. Like the idea of like writing, you know, steady guides and small group guides for like, you know, when soul comes out, it's like, how right. can you like take this Pixar movie and exactly. like adapt it into a Bible study to get that audience? It's like, yeah. I totally, I, I, I totally get the business of it and there's a lot of it that I don't have a problem with, you know, and then there's a lot of it that I do. Yeah, they've had they've had me do things like 
fill a theater of pastors in the Twin Cities with for, for to screen one of these films so that hopefully they'll maybe they'll mention their sermon sure. illustration or whatever. Sure. Did you have any of the actors in the film express any reluctance about satirizing Christian culture or anybody say no thanks not interested for that reason? No. David Kepner had just done a faith-based movie for Netflix and he basically said I just want to make sure this is not making fun of belief. He wants to make sure that it was making fun of the, the business side of things yeah. more so than the belief side of things. And so once he read the script and, and saw that it wasn't really doing that, he, he was on board, but he was the one to kind of, he like kind of just wanted to make sure he wasn't alienating those people. Sure. Yeah, other than that, everybody wanted to make sure that it was like done in a respectful and like not mean spirited way. Like, I don't think anybody likes, I don't think a lot of people like mean spirited things in general, whatever they're like kind of critiquing. It's like, that's not the energy and the, and the vibe a lot of people, especially actors that are going to be the face of it, right, want to right. be a part of really. But no, we we also had at least three actors that had been in Christian movies and told us the craziest stories of like <laughs> kind of the second part of what I said about like producers that were clearly in no way Christian right. <laughs> just seeing this industry and making money. Like one of the actresses a year earlier was like, she's on, she's on a show right now. And she was like, I get this call. And she's not, she's somebody that like, she works a lot, phenomenal actress on a big show, but she's not like, you wouldn't know her name, right? You were, it's not Jason Alexander where you're like, oh, I know who that is right off the bat. And so she was like, I get this call from my agent that says, these guys want to offer you the most money you've ever been offered in your life for you to go to Vancouver for 10 days and be in this Christian movie. And she said she got there and it was so clear on day one that nobody out of those producers and director and stuff were in any way like people of faith. They just a hundred percent were like, we can emulate the Irwin brothers, the Kendrick brothers and make the same cheesy movie and make money off of this. And the crazy part is that they did like, it it did make a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, Oh my gosh. (laughs) Well, Ryan wanted to know where you shot the bar interiors. Yes. So, when you write, when you do a movie for such a low budget as we did, it's kind of like the way you pull it all. Because what the people will tell you, well, they'll say, do one location, minimal actors. Yeah. And obviously, that's the smartest way to go. The other way to go is to write it 100% for locations that you have access to. Sure. So so we shot it. You know, my house, my in-law's house, the director's house, our Luke and Tanner's house is Tanner's real house. Okay. Uh, all these different things. And that bar is a bar that we have all been a part of. I'm kind of a small owner of it's called no bar in north hollywood Oh, it really is uh, no bar okay yeah i've been when i moved to la i got involved with this bar group that basically had like four phenomenal kind of like neighborhood lounges dive bars for lack of a better sure and uh and so yeah i never call I, I kind of held off on that to say like i'm gonna go to these guys and be like hey are you guys cool if we shoot this here you know and yeah. they, they were i love it I love it too. I'll have to go there next time I'm in. Also, life. there's a, the scenes where the which which don't get enough. Like you kind of can't hear him too well. I wish it was a little more part of it. But there's a, the bingo that we're doing there is this real thing called Captain Wonders. Uh, it was called Christopher Wonders Shit Show Bingo, and Christopher Wonder is like one of the funniest, craziest guys I've ever met. He's a magician. He has a tattoo across his stomach that says "Tada!" And after he does a trick, he just like opens his shirt and it says oh. "Tada!" He's like the raunchiest, 
magician slash bingo guy you've ever seen. He does this event at dive bars all over Los Angeles. And I'll never forget, like I randomly went into this dive bar by my house once. There was like six people there doing this raunchy bingo and where you win like dirty beanie baggies, beanie babies, and all this weird gifts and stuff. And I was like, I have to write this into the script as like the thing that Luke and Tanner like do is their hangout. Well, it seemed authentic, so that doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, it seemed like, you know, it was a real thing happening, so. Yeah, well, we basically just had, we shot that full day at No Bar, and then had him come set up and invited, like, 20 of our friends, poured real alcohol, and just said, we're just going to do bingo for an hour, (laughs) and that was pretty much what it was. That's awesome. Well, I, I really appreciate you coming on. What what are you working on now that we should keep our eyes open for? Yeah, thanks for having me. It was just great to talk to you guys. The um, or you and every now yeah, and again Ryan, get a text message Ryan. from Ryan. <laughs> um, right. I've gotten to do some parts and some fun stuff that'll come out later this year. I got to do a part in a movie called Jasir, which is which was filmed in Memphis, and it's this real story of a Syrian refugee who moves to Memphis and ends up like living next to this kind of racist drug addict, which is played by Lorraine Bracco from. Sopranos wow. and yeah. Goodfellas, yeah, and 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 right now we're basically out pitching the next movie. So we're pitching kind of two things right now. One is a uh, we being uh, t- tell us who we is first. Well, the ro- we're doing one right now that we're pitching. That's uh, I wrote with Tanner okay. and, the, and Vince Michelli, the same director of Faith Based, would direct, and that's kind of a quirky road trip dramedy with a talking robot. Okay, uh, so okay. it's got like a Cohen-y kind of vibe to its its offbeat. And as a musical element and that, and then I wrote another one with Tanner that we're just kind of about to take out. That's a, a kind of a horror, horror sci-fi movie set entirely in the world of multi-level marketing and life coaching. So it's got like a big self-help kind of angle, but it's uh, all done as a, as a horror movie. <laughs> hey, pyramids are good if you're on the top. Boom. Yeah, as you can see by Faith Based, it was like we I liked writing that stuff in there so much that I was like, oh, this is an industry that we should do something with. And yeah. I just felt like kind of horror sci-fi was the best That's way awesome. in for that. That's awesome. Well, thanks. Don't hang up after I stop recording. Otherwise, we'll lose your recording. But thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. And we'd love to have you on again after another thing, or if I'm ever coming out to LA, I'll maybe head up to No Bar, and maybe I'll find you leaning up against the bar. Hey, please. uh, Yes, I I got a two-year-old now, so you'll have to text me in advance before I can go lean (laughs) against that bar. But uh, but I would love to hang out if you come to LA. I'd love to be on again.